You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What's up, everybody? Today on Vox and Hops, episode number 11, I sit down with Chris Kells, the bassist of The Agonist. He is also the owner of Front to Back Visuals, the video company. He did most of, if not all, of the recent Cryptopsy videos. I've known Kells a very, very long time. He is uh, one of my oldest friends. Uh, I met him in high school. It's extremely hard to interview someone that you know rather well. It's hard to keep it serious and to keep it uh, focused on the, the information. But I had lots of fun. Check it all out. Here it is Vox and Hops episode number 11. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm here with Chris Kells from The Agonist and Front to Back Videos. So, what's going on, man? I've known you a long time. Uh, let's give everyone a little story of how we know each other. We have known each other a real long time. Am I allowed to swear? We can say whatever the fuck we want. All right. Okay. So we've known each other a very fucking long time. <laughs> it's funny you say that, actually, because I was actually hanging out with Nick the other day, and we were talking about like old times partying and all that, and you used to live right down the street from one of my best friends, Vince, and would just be at his place partying on the weekends and see you walking home from the train station or walking home from jam, and then eventually we'd coax you into coming into the party, and then God knows what happened after that, but uh, it goes further back than that. It goes back to, I think, even elementary school. Or no, I think no. it was just in high school. It was we? high school, yeah. Okay, so met you in high school when you were dating my sister, of course. <laughs> Let's just get that out in the open. <laughs> <laughs> that is the story that tends to come up every once in a while. And uh, yeah, I knew that you were in a band way back then, and I thought it was really cool, and I even went to one of your jams, and I was just like inspired by you guys and what everything that you were doing, and kind of helped me want to pick up an instrument more and then just through that I was just you know enthralled with everything music wise and uh, here we are today still friends still hanging out every once in a while not as much as we used to but uh, maybe that's for the better <laughs> I don't know this set our livers <laughs> <laughs> so so what have you been got going on in personal life uh, band wise give everyone a little rundown what you've been doing uh, well, as you said, I'm bass player in The Agonist, and um, I also run my own video production company called uh, Front to Back Visuals, and I also work for a corporate company doing corporate videos, which is uh, which is just something else that I do during the week and helps pay the bills and everything, but uh, so right now we just finished our sixth studio album. And we're all super stoked on it. We recorded it at The Grid here in Montreal with Chris Donaldson. And it's just, I think it's just some of the best material we've ever put out. It was just like, it shows that we were all angry and ready. And we were just, not to say that we weren't ready for any other records before, but this one we were ready, prepared. We were angry. We wanted to get it done. And it's just, it's amazing. And so right now we're working on the campaign for all of that. We're putting together music videos. We're doing band photos. And um, hopefully going to have a release for it next year. Aside from that, just doing my own video production thing, nonstop work. I'm doing work for your band, Cryptopsy, a lot of work. And a lot of other local bands here in Montreal and just plugging away doing that. Busy, busy, busy. What made you more ready for the sixth album versus the other ones? I think it was just Danny is the guitar player on the Agonist and he is just a riff machine and he just writes out these amazing riffs and he just was writing a lot on the road and we got to hear it in advance and just having it so well prepared in advance and going over to his place and tracking riffs and then actually being able to practice those riffs months in advance whereas before we used to always just like get together at the jam space and try to hammer out these riffs like old school style instead of actually doing it in front of a piece of software and realizing what you're doing wrong before you go into the studio rather than when you go in the studio and you do it all wrong and then you're just like, ah, shit, and you waste all this time. Uh, it was really that that just was a huge help. And I don't know why we all just, you know, it's just like the stars just align sometimes and everybody's on the same page. Sometimes for other albums, it was just like, no, I want to do this and I want to do that. But it was just like all the material that was written, everybody was just like, fuck yeah, we're super excited about it. And it was just, it feels really good. Like it gives me chills when I listen to the new album. 
That's amazing. That's I love that shit. Uh, there's this awesome picture I remember, picture I remember seeing uh, of Simon in a bathtub on tour somewhere writing ideas. Is that something that happens frequently when you said Danny writes on tour? Uh, not so much in the bathtub anymore, but yeah, it was just we were in Europe actually uh, on a tour, and the backstage situation was a little bit more cushy. So he had his laptop and he was writing riffs, and you know, while I'm practicing or we're all in the same room together, it's that easy to just be like, "Hey, what was that? What are you working on?" You know, rather than opening up the door to the bathroom at the hotel and being like, "What are you guys working on?" You know, <laughs> so. Uh, situations have gotten a little bit more cushy than they were back then, you know. And we're when we go to Europe, we have a nicer backstage. So let's take a transition to beer. We we grew up drinking beer together. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't always say that it was the best beer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was beer that that got the job done. <laughs> so so my first question: Do you like craft beer? I do love craft beer. Okay, and do you remember your first experience with beer? Not craft beer, just beer in general. I sure do, yeah. Let's. Can you elaborate on that? I believe it was a uh, a forty ounce of Colt forty five, drank in the back of a store somewhere in Two Mountains, ended up throwing up all over the place, and um, I think we were actually going to a show at the Saint Agapit Church in Two Mountains that night too. Showed up, drunk out of my mind. I think I had to leave to throw up at some point, and then my mom had to come pick me up too because I just like I was that young that I just had no way of getting home. I thought she didn't knew that I was drunk. She pretended like she didn't know because she has a nose like a I don't know, like an elephant. I <laughs> could definitely sniff it out. She a could definitely tell hound. that I was drunk, but she did a basset hound. Yes, let's say that. But uh, she didn't say anything, and that yeah, you know, that was my first experience getting drunk. <laughs> There you go. Or drinking beer, actually. You said drinking beer, not getting wasted. No, I said drinking beer. That's right. I equate that with getting wasted, I guess. Uh, What is the first craft beer that opened your mind that beer can taste different? I guess it wasn't so much a craft beer, but the first beer that I tasted that was not like Molson X or... Labatt Blue or something like that was uh, St. Amboise beer where I was just like, wow, what is this? This tastes hoppy and it's good and it's this is what beer is supposed to taste like apparently, you know? So that really opened up my eyes to different kinds of beers. I still drink it every once in a while nowadays, but it's nothing compared to what they have out there nowadays. So St. Amboise was a, a gate opener for me too. Uh when I started uh, exploring outside of the commercial beers, uh, McCausen mm-hmm. is uh, one of the biggest micro brews out of Quebec right now. Um, I've sort of like grown out of them, but they're still a very solid brewery, and I'm happy that they they like opened my eyes and opened my palate to a new type of beer. Yeah, one thing that I'll still actually drink that I actually enjoy drinking from them is the uh, the stout that they have. I think that's actually probably their best beer that they have. And uh, it's getting colder now, so that's definitely something that I will be drinking in the winter. Every time around this year, too, there is the option of buying the 12-pack of the Russian Imperial Stout. If the 12-pack, really? Yeah. But uh, last year I bought a 12-pack and it was absolutely worth it. I, but I haven't finished them all. I've aged some. Because that beer is actually still extremely solid. Today I brought to drink from uh, two uh, beers from Mabarasri. The first one is the Pills. I picked it up thinking, you know, I've been drinking all these great beers on this podcast. I always bring beers that I know that I like. I wasn't 100% certain what type of beer you like. So I wanted to go safe and pick like just a classic Pilsner, which I know is great from Mabarasri which is from Montreal. It's a brew pub uh, up in Rosemont, near where I live. And I go there with my family all the time. It's uh, extremely child-friendly. They have they brew as a co-op in their establishment a whole bunch of uh, local breweries. And uh, their Pilsner is solid. So I picked it up. As I'm pouring it here with Chris, it comes out pure pitch black. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit shocked that it's not... Uh, I was like, I thought this was a Pilsner, but... So my first mind was like, oh, no, no, it's it's not good. You know, and then I, <laughs> I, I look at the label and I realize what I've done. I've picked up uh, the Pilsner, which is called uh, Tamave, and it's their Lager Fonsi. So it's a, it's a dark lager called Tamave, and I think it's like a, like a, a roasted malt 
Pilsner version. So let's give her a taste and we'll see what it is. I've never tasted it. Um, we'll see. Cheers. It smells like caramelly, like like a, like a stout wood. It's it's sweet. It definitely does remind me of a stout, but I can't put my finger on it just yet. Yeah, it's like more like a like a like a soft stout. Though. Yeah, this was like a like a four percent stout. This is. Uh, I would definitely buy this. Actually, it's actually got four point nine percent. The thirteen degrees is what they call it to the pills. So so it was it was a uh, a mind fuck when I poured it, but uh, it's it's a nice treat on the mouth. It's. Uh, <laughs> It's sweet. It's not like like too candy, candy sweet though. It's like more just like the malts that are like sugary a little bit, and uh, it's still like really refreshing. I'll have to add it to my untapped list. It's really good. Yeah, untapped. I I can't do untapped because what do you mean? I have an addictive personality, so I won't, I won't stop. <laughs> and I drank a lot of fucking beers. So sometimes I will just buy a beer just to you know up my ante on untapped. I'm like, all right, I need to. I haven't done anything in a while. What is your favorite? local craft beer my favorite local craft beer um i don't know like how local we're talking like quebec quebec if you can muster uh, up one. i would probably say the shelton and the lagabier is probably my two favorites right now and the, the breweries in general um or the ipas well the shelton ipa du jour i think is fantastic i know it kind of tastes different every time but it's still like i don't know every time i get it i'm just like oh this is amazing like so it's a definite definite go-to beer for me when i'm going to the beer fridge which is um a couple of times weekly so <laughs> <laughs> something's got to get me through all those work hours and uh yeah the it's Lagabier, right? Lagabier. Yeah. yeah. Damayar, I think, is amazing, too. It's just uh, something that's really... Well, actually, I really love the uh, Boreal IPA Norris, but not so frequent at the store. Whenever I go to this, um, the, the bar in, um, in Verdun called uh, Truffle, they have it on tap yes, there. Yes, Le so Trèfle. Le Trèfle, that's in, it. in Verdun. So I always end up getting that on tap there because that's, like, I don't know, that's... To me, one of the best beers in Quebec right Morel now. Morel de Nargues is an extremely strong New England style IPA. The Lagabiag is, is a good, like, simulation. Simulation, does that make sense? Yeah. They're trying simulation, to simulate. Similarity. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the Shelton IP de Jour is something that I, I always go for whenever I see it. It's uh, The story behind that is that they they take whatever they have in the shop that day whatever malt whatever hops and then they make an ipa each month super interesting which really you think like would taste like garbage but it's actually so surprising every time i have it i'm just like this is amazing but they're masters shelter <laughs> it's so good it's my favorite i no, haven't actually I'll, done one on the podcast i'll have a i'll have a shelton ipa du jour and then sometimes i'll have a bag of beer tamayar after and i'm like oh there's like a little bit less of a punch there you know so mm-hmm. i should have done the tamayar first and then sometimes it's more smooth the shelton Really? I've yeah. always, well, maybe I've got a special batch then or something. So, What is your favorite beer in the world? Beer in the world? Being a touring musician, you get the chance to uh, see and taste a lot of things. You'd think I'd go for something in Europe, but uh, man, just the United States just has some amazing beers right now. And probably I would have to go something that is super similar to the Nord-Est. And it would definitely be the Heady Topper. But if we were actually like on tour and we were requesting beer from the venue because we get a case of beer every night at the venue well then normally our go-to beer is sierra nevada it's cheaper but it's definitely a solid good beer yeah i remember my first cryptopsy tour summer slaughter 2008 is when i discovered sierra nevada and uh, i still find myself going to it when i'm down there it's a good solid beer I would definitely say Sierra Nevada is something that we always go for. And if somebody goes, oh, no, it's too expensive. We can't we can't give you that. Well, then a second would be like something easy that we're, we know we're going to drink a lot of or whatever. <laughs> that would be the um, the PA beer there. What's it called? Pabst Blue Ribbon? No, no, no. <laughs> Pennsylvania, <laughs> Pennsylvania beer. So, so when you're on tour and there's no more... And there's no more Sierra Nevada. Actually, not there's no more. It's when the promoter will be like, oh, no, no, we can't give you Sierra Nevada. That's too expensive or it's too expensive so we're only going to give you a 12 pack and we're like well fuck that so we're going to take yangling instead that would be our 
the second choice of the beers that we're allowed to get. <laughs> there you go. Tell me about your early life growing up as a kid. Uh, how early? <laughs> I don't know. So something that, that would describe yourself, something that, that made you the person you are now. Um, you know, what kind of a kid you were in, in school? In my early days as a kid, I mean, I was just, I don't know. I had two parents and a sister and my parents are still together. Um, and I went to school. I absolutely fucking hated it. I thought I would enjoy it. You know, I, I even see pictures of myself when I was going to school on the first day as a little kid. And I was so excited and everything. And then came home and fucking hated it. And I still hated it all the way through CJEP. Hated everything about it. And uh, I don't know. I guess maybe that's where part of... I mean, you've known me a long time. So I have like a little bit of a crazy character with, um, you know, like breaking stuff and getting into mischief and all that kind of shit or like doing backyard wrestling and all that bullshit. And maybe part of that was just like an escape for me is just being like, I hated, I hated authority growing up and somebody telling me what to do. And maybe that's part of the reason why I like metal music and I like to run my own company and do my own things now, because it's like, it's not so much that I like to be in charge, but I don't like somebody telling me that I can't do something because I'm just like well fuck you I'm going to do it and then you tell me that it's impossible well then I'm going to try and figure out a way to make it possible you know and that's I don't know that's, that's a little bit deeper than maybe what you were asking but that's no, perfect like, it's perfect it's like if you had a boss telling you you're, gonna, you're not going to sleep tonight because you're going to be editing this video yeah you'd be pissed I mean at the same time too I knew when to shut my mouth because I had a lot of shitty jobs growing up out of high school or while I was even in high school, I just shut my mouth and did what I had to do. But if it was something that I like strongly believed in, or maybe it's just maybe because of the fact that I like, I got it out in playing metal music or doing all this mischievous, mischievous garbage. I was okay with it at that time. You know, it's just like, but I don't know, maybe it molded me into the person that I am. I got all that crazy shit out of the way. And now I'm just like, yeah, okay. Now I know I've got a one track mind on, I need to get this done and I need to be productive instead of doing all this destructive shit, you know? Let's talk a little bit about this backyard wrestling. (laughs) What inspired that? Um, Give the listeners a little rundown of what backyard wrestling entails. Um, So backyard wrestling used to be a thing. I don't know if it still is a thing. We're probably too old if it is. Uh, yeah, maybe we're <laughs> too old. Uh, it used to be a thing back in the day where kids would get together and they were uh, influenced by stars on ECW or WWE, whatever, all that shit. And uh, we used to just get together in the backyard. And it's not like we were just going and breaking shit over each other's head, but we were actually fond of doing all that wrestling stuff and but we made it into like a hardcore match where we were going absolutely crazy and breaking shit over each other's head and like throwing each other off roofs and all that and at first it started as something when we were in high school and just like a couple guys were doing in the hallways and then it was like it turned into something we would do on the weekends and we would have one of my buddies come and film it and then we all watch it later and be like just amazed at what we did and how cool things looked on camera. And then it got to a certain point where it was like, we're going to start having house parties and inviting people to this. And then, so we did that for a couple of years and it just built up to a certain point where it was like, it got so big that we'd invited like at least a quarter or half of the high school all into one person's backyard. And then eventually police would show up and all that because people would get drunk and it was just like the police would show up because they thought like two random guys were just fighting in a backyard and there was all these people there to watch but it just turned into something that was i guess maybe it was like a little bit too big and then we weren't allowed to have it anywhere anymore and it was just <laughs> it, was, it got too big for for two mountains i don't know it was stupid what is the craziest shit that you did in these organized back wrestling, backyard wrestling. Uh, I could name off a few actually, and I not in chronological order or anything. But at, I remember one time I got thrown off of a cabin roof onto a table lit on fire, wrapped in barbed wire, and another time I got thrown off of my buddy's house roof, which was twice the height of the cabin roof. Uh, through two tables, not on fire, nothing, because that was already enough. The height that was just like, okay, that's enough. I remember getting slammed out of my buddy's house 
this is all Mitchell Squires. A kid that's that that's I what up I was with. imagining. <laughs> Mitchell Squires, a kid that we grew up with, and he was part of the uh, XBW, as we used to call it, the Extreme Backyard Wrestling. I got thrown out of his back door where he used to have a deck but they got rid of the balcony because i guess they were renovating or something but there was still the pavement underneath the deck so i got power bombed out the back uh out the back door which was the kitchen inside the house so i was in a kitchen getting power bombed out of the kitchen into the backyard onto the pavement uh through a table and then probably the most painful thing that i had ever endured was uh, getting a double power bomb through thumbtacks and they all went like in the back of my head and everything and it was just it was not fun it was just disgusting <laughs> no injuries no no injuries actually I came away scot-free you know scrapes and bruises here or there but it was again like i said it was for me it was kind of like a release and it was i loved being in front of a crowd of people i never wanted to be one to like steal the crowd from anybody and command it but it was just so nice to be able to like just raise that left hand for like two seconds and have everybody go like, yeah, it was just like the coolest thing for me, you know? And it was just, I don't know. And then that just translated into music doing that on stage. And I think it's, it's just so powerful to be able to command a crowd like that. You're just like, you feel, you just feel amazing. When did that translate from into the music? Like were you playing bands in a band at the same time as this? I was playing in a band at the same time. The band was a little bit less serious. Uh, well, we were trying to be serious. And uh, eventually it got to a point where I did meet Danny, my guitar player. And I think maybe I did maybe one or two more of those backyard wrestling things. And then after that, I was just like, okay, this is done. Like, I've got to mature up. What happens if I really hurt myself? And what has this got going for me compared to what I've got going on with my band? You know, so you had to make a decision. I had to make a decision. What What were the bands that influenced you musically to head in the style of metal or growing up? Uh, well, growing up, even picking up a guitar, my dad showed me a, a videotape of Stevie Ray Vaughan that just, I actually wanted to play drums. And then he was just like, well, take a look at this. And he showed me Stevie Ray Vaughan and VHS of Stevie Ray Vaughan on um, Austin, Austin City Limits and so I watched that and I was just like wow this is fucking crazy this guy can play the guitar like I've never seen before so I think it was literally like the next week I went out and I bought a guitar and that's how I started doing that and then that spiraled into bass but then when I got into bass a huge uh, influence of mine was uh, Primus and I think that was something that maybe you showed me actually when I was trying to learn how to play an instrument, you were just like, you should check this out. And you show me Primus. And then I got into Tool because my sister was into Tool. And so were you. You were a big fan of that. So I got lost into that for a long time. And then um, this was all in high school. And then my friends started kind of not really listening to alternative music anymore. They kind of just like swayed away from it. And I didn't really like that they were listening to like dance music and all this stuff. So I kind of just went complete opposite. And I was just like, well, I'm going to listen to Cannibal Corpse. And I think that that's fucking cool. And then that spiraled into other bands. And I don't know. I was just really inspired and still am today by like Tool, Meshuggah, Cannibal Corpse, all these like bands that I just think are musically just so fucking amazing you know and then but it's rare now that i'll actually like listen to it on a regular basis i guess i'm more so like i'm not gonna listen to cannibal corpse when i get on the metro in the morning and just be like okay yeah seven o'clock i'm going to work <laughs> it's like yeah let's let's listen to uh fire up the chainsaw hack their fucking heads <laughs> off you know i'm just like no I'm, i'll listen to like radiohead and mellow out and even that like gives some inspiration to a musician even if you're into metal or if you're into playing indie rock you know it doesn't there's always some sort of backbone inspiration behind behind whatever music you're listening to i find i find it very interesting that like you're very early in your career you found the musicians that created a band that became the band that you're still in and you got signed very early in your career how do you feel about that when you see like some your peers around you who had to struggle for longer or uh privileged would be the word i mean we're super privileged that we got lucky and that somebody 
found our music and that believed in us and you know Century Media decided to take us under their wing and show us all this stuff and how to tour and what um, a booking agent is what a manager is what is what is basically everything behind touring because we had no fucking clue I'm super privileged to be part of this band and everything that we've done and it's amazing to see all of the other bands out there you know local or maybe not even so local that are less big and I mean we're not even that big anyways on a certain scale we are but it's nothing compared to certain bands it's just like we are definitely lucky compared to seeing some of these local bands that I'm just like wow man these guys should be fucking signed these everybody should know about them but they don't so it's just we're lucky that we got that push and that we got that world push and that most people know about us you know Definitely one thing that I regret is not having a lot of the knowledge that we have now had we have not been so young and not knowing any of those things, any of those things, would the career be different today? I mean, who knows, but I'm definitely thankful for everything. I just, sometimes I wish we would have known more going into it. You know, yeah, that's, a very, been, that's a very good point. That's a good question. We would have been more prepared. So for any band that is going out there and that they're going to get signed, and they know nothing about it. It's like, man, be ready to always be on points. And especially now with like social media and just like, don't ever take a break. The second that you take a break, it's like people are going to forget about you. So it's just like push, 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 work as hard as you can and just stay on tour and write albums, you know, because the second that you get lazy or that you're tired and don't want to do it anymore, well, then people are going to forget about you, especially if you're a new band. You mentioned that some local bands deserve to be signed. Name me one of those. I'm, I like when I say that I think about like old bands. You say a band from back in the day. Yeah, it's like I don't know. It's like when I was young, it was just like I was thinking I'm just like tantrum. These guys got to get signed, and it's like same thing with your old band, Three Mile Scream. It's like you got to get like these guys have to get signed. It's just like they're working so hard. It's like Ashes of Eden too. That was another band that was just like man, these guys are working so fucking hard. They've got to like the world needs to hear this, you know, or it's. Um, when did you first start filming music videos? I first started filming music videos not that long ago, actually. It was my roommate's band uh, named The Catalyst. There's another band, actually, where I was just like, man, I think these guys should be signed. They're definitely, you know, working hard and writing amazing music. But that was one of my first music videos that I ever did. My roommate's band, they believed in me and they were just like, yeah, yeah, we're like, let's, we trust you. Like, let's, let's see where this goes, you know? So they let me shoot a video for them and it was actually turned out great. It's still one of my favorite videos to this day. But even before that, like what, what made you pick up the camera? Cause me growing up with you, I never knew you as like a videographer, but now whenever I think of needing someone to film anything, you're always the first person in my mind. So right. Yeah. When, when did that first start happening? So when we were on tour on our first couple of tours, actually before we even did a tour, we had to go down to Brooklyn to do a music video. And back in 2007, and uh, we got hooked up with this guy, Dave Brodsky, in New York. And he basically, we, he let us stay at his house for the whole weekend. We were shooting a music video over the two days that we were there. And I was just watching this guy in all of his gear, and I just thought it was like, wow, this is so fucking cool. And I was, saw his like workstation, and I was just like amazed at everything that this guy was doing and so i just started asking him more and more questions and so years went by where it was just like oh we need to do another music video okay well we're gonna send you guys down to brooklyn and it was just like for i think maybe three or four albums we were always going down to him to get him to produce a music video for us and he was always trying to teach me stuff and tell me different things and then so finally one day i just said Actually, no, somebody gave me a camera. It was one of my ex-girlfriends. She gave me a camera and she said for my birthday and she said, just take it on tour with you and just start filming. So what I started to do is I just started filming us on tour, making these stupid little webisodes. So just like tour updates and just joking around or whatever. And back then it was like a little bit common, but not so common as it is now. Like nowadays, it's like everybody's doing that, you know, and you can do it with your phone and all that. But back then, that's that's basically how I got into video production. I just started filming us doing stupid shit on the road, getting into mischief or doing whatever. And then finally, one day, I just decided to take it a little bit more seriously. I bought myself a better camera and started to take the software 
to a new level where I actually knew what I was doing with it and learning like all these different tricks and everything. And Dave Brodsky, who shot those music videos for us, was always there for me every step of the way telling me what was good and what was not good. Or if I had any question, he was always there to answer, answer it for me. So he was kind of like my mentor in that, you know, he really started me up in that. And that's where I am today. Where did the name come from? Front to back visuals. <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, because if I answer that, well, then it's going to upend my company. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you'll tell me later. <laughs> Which music video are, the, are you the most proud of? I'm actually super fucking proud of the one that I just put out, and it's for Cryptopsy, Cyrusin. I was super worried about it when I was there shooting it with um, my producer Ryan because we were just like I don't know how this is going to turn out I have no fucking clue and then when I showed him the edited version he was just like wow I, I can't believe that you were able to pull that off with what we did you know and it was just like if you saw the set you'd just be like I, I don't know I don't see it you know kind of thing so I'm super proud of that just because of everything that we went through and it's still it's like fucked up and weird and perverse and it's just I don't know. It's just, it's so cool to me. I think it's amazing. And, uh, definitely f- one of the first ones on my list would be an agonist video that I directed, which is extremely hard. Like not only directing the music video, like creating all the shots, creating the whole production schedule for all the day, making sure the shooters are shooting exactly what you want them to do. And then on top of that, having to go and perform as well. And like literally driving there, driving the whole band there and driving like the whole band back or whatever. And one of my favorite music videos that we had done for my band was um, was The Hunt. And the reason why is just because we got away with murder that day. It was like we had to drive up north to this abandoned like old radar station. We didn't have the permission to be there. We literally left Montreal at 4 a.m., to get there for sunrise but to leave us like plenty of time to set up a generator and set up the drums and set up all this shit and just literally once we were finally like set up and ready to go like the sun started coming up but it wasn't even the sun it was just so like such overcast and it was just i just remember looking on the camera and everything was just like perfect and i was like okay let's go let's do this you know and it was just we spent the whole day there getting all these amazing shots and we didn't get kicked out there was a couple of like party animals that came there it was on a sunday afternoon and that was it we just packed up and left and it was like one of the coolest music videos that i ever shot is that the one with the drone shots yeah there's drone shots and it's just like us on top of the mountain and it's just like all these blue clouds and i think it was there was like a crazy windstorm too that day and it just worked perfectly like as if we had our own wind machine and it was just, <laughs> it was so cool vicky like hated it she was freezing to death and everybody else was freezing but i was like freaking out i was like yes we're getting these epic shots so it was so cool (laughs) which music video would you like to reshoot today if you could go back in time oh boy (laughs) um actually there's definitely a couple that i look at nowadays and i'm just like oh shit i wish i could reshoot that um but there is one from the agonist that i wish i could reshoot and that's the moment there's a few things in there that I don't like. Also, I did a video for a band named Slender where I was just like, I didn't really like some of the things that I did there. Or maybe it was certain shoots where I I took somebody else's direction, but I should have taken it more so and just been like, it just things I should have really had more of a handle on. And just, I think it would have gone better that way had I've taken more time to plan it out and knew exactly what I was doing. But I mean, shooting music videos is sometimes, unless you've been doing this for like 30 years of your life, it's like, for me, I haven't been doing it that long. You're going to make mistakes and everything. And it's just all about covering up your mistakes later. So it's just, it's, it's a whole learning curve, you know, and it's, if you have a band that trusts you, you got to know what you're doing and you got to take your time to make sure you know what you're doing before you go in, especially if they want to do something special and different that you haven't done before, you know? So that's, that's what it's all about. And if you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. You'll fix it or you can hire somebody else to fix it. (laughs) (laughs) Has that been the case? It has never been my case just yet, but I have looked upon many peers on how I should fix something, and then they'll tell me whether I agree with them or disagree, or I find my own way. Have you ever scrapped a video because you or the artist were not satisfied? Uh, Yeah, actually, I have. 
I was kind of satisfied, but this hip hop artist who I will not name hated it. And given the situation, it was completely different on what he was supposed to get. But I did it for free because I hadn't had a lot of work back in those days. And I still think it's an amazing video, but he absolutely hated it. He scrapped it and just left it at that. And unfortunately, he was rude too. And it didn't end well. So it just... It it never saw the light of day, and frankly, I don't care if somebody's going to be rude to me like that. Well, then I had that person have paid, I would have done everything in my power to make sure that that person was a hundred and ten percent satisfied. But if you're going to be rude and I offered you a service for free, I mean that's 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 just who you're going to be, you know. But like with metal musicians and with a lot of like metal musicians, like you never have to worry about something like that because it's like everybody's working together and no matter what, it's like it'll be figured out at the end of the day. If they hate it, well then you're going to reshoot it or you're going to completely restoryboard the whole thing, and it's not a big deal, you know. It's like nothing is unfixable. You do videos for many genres. Do you have one that is your favorite or one that you're just not comfortable with? How do, how do you go about shooting music videos for genres outside of metal? Do you feel that it's different or... It's hugely different shooting videos outside of metal. I have to say that it's not my favorite thing to do. Mainly because I guess it's like me getting out of my element. Whereas metal music videos, it's just like... I can almost already understand what the band wants before they've even spoken to me because they send me the song and I'll hear the vibe, you know, and then I'll go and have a meeting with them or I'll have a phone call or send them an email. And I'll just tell them, I'll just be like, well, this is what I hear and feel from the song. So I've got it right there, you know, or maybe they'll respond something strange to me and I'll be like, okay, yeah, maybe we can work that. Or maybe I'll just suggest something and then it'll work that way. But like... I shot a pop music video recently and holy fuck, the amount of work that went into that was just insane. You know, I mean, it's such a cool video. I worked with this girl. I got introduced to her from uh, Kevin Jardine from Slaves on Dope. Dope, Yeah. A recording, recording engineer, I guess you would call in Montreal. Uh, He hooked me up with her and she had this crazy idea to shoot a music video and then i responded to her with a different crazy idea and we melded those ideas together and we made this really cool music video that hasn't hit the market yet but to do something like that i was like i had to outsource people i had to really figure out like every little detail it wasn't just like here's a performance video of a metal band and there's like a little bit of a storyline in the background this was like an entire storyline front the back hence the name and then it was just non-stop you know so it was definitely a learning curve maybe it just came at the wrong time right now because i'm so fucking busy that i was just like not ready for it but i was i was super prepared so that was fun but it's metal videos are just like something i can a language that i can speak a little bit more you know rather than doing a pop music video (laughs) If you could pick any band to work with, which band would that be? Like a dream band. A dream band. Probably Cannibal Corpse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I know Dave Brodsky does a lot of those ones. My mentor who I look up to for doing that for so many years and he's taught me everything that I know, you know. So he does an amazing job at shooting those music videos and I know if I got the chance to shoot one he would probably destroy it. He'd be like, Well, this is wrong and that's wrong and you did this wrong or he'd be like, This is amazing. You never know. What is your favorite part of making a music video? Man, sometimes you're just behind the camera when you're on a shoot on the set. And I just get so much joy in what I'm seeing, especially a lot of these metal bands, because you can see how passionate they are about what they're doing. You know, whether they're awkward or not, there's still this like passion behind something that they wrote, something that they're performing And even if they feel uncomfortable in front of the camera, I just love yelling at people and telling them like rock out harder or like fucking do this better or whatever, you know, or maybe we'll have like a little pep talk before they actually do it. I think that's like one of the coolest things ever for me. And then on the other side of it too, when I bring shit into editing, sometimes I'll be losing my mind and I'll like feel sick to my stomach when I'm like editing and I'm just like, Oh no, I completely fucked up this shoot. But then I'll go to bed and I'll, 
watch it the next morning or the next night or something and I'll just like freak out and just be like oh my god this is so cool like I can't believe that I did this I pulled this off and it's just it's it's something amazing that I can actually do that and now that I've taken the time to like set up the lights and it's just like this is like that's the coolest light ever or this was the coolest idea ever it's just it's so satisfying when you have a crazy stupid idea and it actually pans out what are some of the challenges of making music videos? Time. Time for when you show up to the location wherever you're shooting, the band shows up late, maybe you're stuck in traffic, um, maybe you forgot something, whatever. It's just, it's always, it's always a race against the clock. And especially if you're working with daylight too, you're just like, you're fucked. Whether it's like you're shooting at night, well then it's like the sun's going to rise at 5 a.m. or whatever, or it's, you're shooting during the day and the sun's going to set it. 6 p.m. or whatever you know time is the biggest thing and then also the turnaround time for when bands want their music videos done (laughs) when do you want this music video as soon as possible well okay i can't get it to you tomorrow but maybe i can get it to you in like three weeks or something you know it takes time so editing's a bitch editing is a bitch and you lose your own mind at trying to do it (laughs) making music videos for your own band is it easier or more complicated I would say in coming up with a concept, it can be easy and it can also be complicated. I have to think of some pretty interesting ideas in order to pitch to four other people in my band. But I know that if I pitch them an idea, they're either going to be on board or they're going to try and help me be on board and really see my vision or whether it's one of their visions, I'm going to try and help them get that vision like going and seeing like what's possible and how we're going to do it you know it's definitely harder to shoot because performing and shooting at the same time is just fucking exhausting we shot a music video for the new album three weeks ago and we were literally there from we left montreal i think at 10 30 in the morning and we didn't get back until four and a.m. At 4 a.m., yeah. Yeah, the next Not day. 4 p.m., 4 a.m. We got there. We shot everything that we had to do, which I was behind the camera the whole day. We were shooting acting scenes. And then later after that, we were shooting performance scenes, which I was also shooting. And then when it was time for me to actually perform it, it's like, okay, I'm sorry, I got to go run and get changed, run back to the location where we were shooting, and then actually remember how to play all my parts, stretch a little bit, rock out, do it. The second that that's done, put my bass down, get back behind the camera, film it all, do everything. And then once like 2.30, 2 a.m. rolls around, it's like, okay, now we all got to like clean up. So I'm part of the cleanup crew, packing all the gear. And then at the end of the day, everybody's too tired. So who drives the van home? <laughs> Me. I drove the van home an hour and a half. But luckily I was still running on adrenaline then, so I was perfectly okay with it and everybody had a rough day but i was like i was pumped because i knew we made something super fucking cool i'll give you my thoughts of the the new cryptopsy video for sire of sin i think you did an amazing job i and in all my interviews i've been doing for the new ep which is coming out on october 26th or came out on october 26th probably at this point when this is out i uh i've been telling everyone that you saved the video because we, <laughs> we gave you garbage <laughs> We, 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 you know, it was, it was, Flo had this vision of having no band shots. We wanted extreme close-ups. We wanted it to be disturbing. We wanted it to be weird and eerie. And I really think that your editing made the whole video what it is. What were some of the difficulties regarding it? Regarding it was, uh, I mean, for jump parts mainly, uh, we wanted to do only certain parts of it just so we could nail down those certain drum parts, which was super difficult in editing because I have to match up cryptopsy songs with an entire cryptopsy song. Ask anybody to fucking do that and they'll have a hard time to do that. It's all blast beats and everything all over the place. So, I mean, that was super difficult, but to be honest, I was really worried about it. But once I started throwing everything in editing and I was just like, Oh man, this is actually working and I wouldn't see it any other way for the video. So I was just like, I kind of bit my tongue there where I was, I was a little bit mad at the direction of the video when we were shooting it. 
but actually when I, once I started editing it I was just like this makes total sense and that's exactly where I should be going with it because any wide shot of the band would have looked weird or any shot of the whole band all playing together would have looked strange to me so keeping it just tight shots and I don't think there's one shot in the whole video that's over a second long no, or a millisecond maybe at the bridge at the end and it just it makes sense for the music video it's nauseating it's nauseating <laughs> and that's exactly what we wanted to do you know it's just like that was my original idea when you guys wanted to do a different song was to make it seem like the viewer was in a washing machine drunk and they were about to throw up but then we decided to go for a different song and we had a different idea the day of the shoot so I didn't get to do that, but it came out more of like an epileptic seizure video, which I think is just as cool. Which well, we probably should have slapped a warning on that. I, I mentioned it to you, you guys. Did, uh, there's been a few comments. That's <laughs> your guys' section. fault if you didn't do that. What is the best piece of advice you can give someone who's just beginning to film music videos? Uh, watch your back. Like your actual back because there's a lot of like bending over when you're so focused on the camera and you can destroy your back pretty badly. And uh, just just be on top of time. Make sure to watch your lighting and just make sure that you're actually directing your band. I, I think we always resort back to this terrible music video that we've seen. And it was posted on... Um, it was either Metal Sucks or Blabbermouth as like literally the worst music video ever made. Is, is it the one on the beach? No, it's it's of a band from Saskatchewan and they're playing in some kind of warehouse. And it's just like it's I, you should find the link and post it in this. I'll later. post it in the comments. <laughs> because I'm not the only one. It's like I found it literally because Blabbermouth said this is literally the worst music video I've ever seen. And some people say arguably, I don't know what's worse, the music or the video. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guys. Poor I'm, guy. I'm sure I'm sure they had good intentions. I'm sure they did, too. But it, it's actually I, I love watching it because it's just it's so hilarious. But make sure your lighting's good. Make sure that you are actually believing in what you're shooting too. Because if you don't believe in what you're shooting, well then it's gonna come off as crap or cheesy. And if you believe in it, well then you're gonna wanna make the band believe in you too at the same time. So you gotta you gotta push the band to make them make you believe what they're actually doing you know in front of the camera it's just like you gotta you gotta buy what they're doing behind the screen and if it's just like some band that's not into it or whatever well then you gotta make them into it or if they're shy or something like that you know you're the director you gotta tell them what to do what is the best piece of advice that you received when you started from Brodsky I think that was it actually it was dude you are in charge this this is like this is your baby. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Like, don't let anybody walk on your toes. Make sure that you're the one in charge and you tell everybody what to do. Because otherwise everything can get lost, you know? You're either waiting for everybody else because somebody's not ready or you're waiting on a makeup artist or something like that or, you know. But also in my own experience, it's like, take the time a little bit. Also, don't rush everything. Make sure everything's perfect before you start shooting because you can't just grab a camera and run around and make sure everything and just be like yeah the music video is done you know <laughs> you got to make sure everything's perfect first don't rush it but make sure that you're in charge so we're gonna move on to our next beer which is uh one of my go-to beers from Mabarasuri. it's called the mandrel it's a um, saison with uh brett and tropical tastes so it has the wild yeast saison and it has a, a an excellent tropical taste to it i think i've had this one before cheers it smells like dry not not so fruity really it's 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 interestingly very drinkable um a little sweet but still smooth it's got uh strangely enough it has like a little bit of a white beer smell to it but or aroma to it but then when you actually taste it it doesn't it doesn't taste like that okay what is one accomplishment that you're most proud of when it comes to directing music videos is it the one that you mentioned before oh directing music video um actually it's being that guy that a lot of bands in montreal come to when they're just like hey man we need something film fast and i was like okay cool and the fact that i'm able to do that is it's amazing sometimes it's a little bit stressful as it is 
been these last couple of months, but I'm really glad that I can be there to help out certain bands. And I, I like to think that I treat everybody equally and well. So it's just, it's, it's cool that I've, I've built that name for myself. What is one misstep you wish you could take back in video production or in life? Video production. Misstep. I wish I actually could have taken a, a like a course in maybe doing a little bit more animations and that type of thing because that takes a lot of time and nowadays I just don't have the time to actually learn how to do some of that stuff so I will either outsource it or I will do it myself but I don't feel that it's 110% where it should be you know so definitely something I would probably do in the future once I have a little bit more time who is the best music video director in your opinion like favorite directors that I really look up to actually like one of my all-time favorite movies that I constantly go back when I'm making a music video where I have to do something fucked up and weird is uh seven by David Fincher I think it's like I I think the intro to that movie is like the perfect metal band music video for every fucking metal band out there you know so it's just like i use that as inspiration for a lot of my music videos or like the first silence of the lambs like all this fucking weird shit i think is just those directors really honed in on i don't know what us metal musicians are trying to do nowadays i don't know what is the best music video you have seen recently that you haven't filmed is it something like you you try to stay on top of that you try to watch music videos to I be do, inspired? Or? I do try and watch music videos to be inspired, and sometimes I wish I just had like a like a search engine where I'd be like a music video with a tiger or music video with something like down a hallway or something, so that I could just like research that and just be like, okay, get like an idea for that. You know, um, I'm a big fan for a while of like stuff that's all one shot you know uh i find a lot of hip-hop videos are very creative in that type of way like uh there's this hip-hop group run the jewels that they put out a music video that recently well earlier this year which i thought was really creative and so i'll actually resort back to even though i say i do a lot of metal and i'll you know use that as um my influence a lot of hip-hop videos go into my influence because they're doing like these really creative things nowadays and it's just or like even it's stupid but it's like you watch like an ariana grande video and it's like she's like walking on a wall all of a sudden or doing like these types of people with those types of budgets are doing things that are just like out of this world and you're just like okay how can i take that and make it into my budget and make it for a metal band you know or make it for like something else because I do pop videos too, so I got I got to stay on top of the game somehow, you know. What are some of your guilty pleasure music vices? Guilty pleasure music vices. Well, Radiohead is not really a guilty pleasure. I'm very fond of Radiohead, and I'll outwardly speak about it. I don't know what is. I'm trying to think of what's what's in the phone right now on Spotify. Oh, the new Eminem album. There's a guilty vice. <laughs> Who do you think won the, the the battle? The battle? I I don't know. It's it's just always like a nonstop fucking battle between these guys. So, but Machine Gun Kid and Eminem. I don't even the really Machine know Gun Machine Kelly. Gun. Sorry. I, yeah, like I don't. You even, didn't hear about that? Okay. I don't even really know, but all I know is that the like the Deantward thing because he didn't spell their name, uh, say they pronounce their name properly or whatever. Oh, I didn't. I didn't see hear that one. That's my favorite. My daughter's favorite band. Oh, is it really? <laughs> It's true. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's definitely a guilty pleasure lately. And it's just like, because it's, you know, it's... I remember once back in 2007 when we used to be endorsed by Randall and Washburn. And uh, the the guy who was endorsing us... Fuck, I can't remember his fucking name right now. But he was talking about Eminem and he was just like, he was drunk backstage and he was just like, Eminem is so metal. And I was like, what are you talking about? So metal. He's just like, listen to his lyrics and all this shit that he's saying is like, he's like the most metal fucking guy out there. I was just like, no, you're, you're crazy. But then it's like, when I listen to his new album, I'm just like, okay, he's not really metal, but he's just like, he's not really an anarchist either, but he's, what's the word I'm searching for? He's just like, 
He's very lyrically interesting. I'll, I'll give him that. He's like a pusher of buttons, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. He, he likes to like throw a grenade into a room and stand there and watch everyone burn. <laughs> Which I think is kind of metal in a certain way. Yeah. I, I, I wish that his beats were more aggressive. I think I would get more into it. Because but I have like you his heard rapping. the new stuff? I have. I have. But I find the beats... The what, what I have heard is... It doesn't tickle my fancy. Right, okay. I'm more of the Diane Twucht than Eminem fan, I would say, as of right now. I definitely like the, the D'Antwoord stuff that they're doing, too. It's like some of their older stuff is a little bit too chaotic for me. I'm just like, well, I don't understand what's going on. But it, actually, there's a good example of some music videos I always revert to because they're doing some fucked up shit, and I think it's really cool. It's just like when you watch one of their music videos... It's just all over the place, and you have no idea where it's going to go. It's very disturbing. It's very disturbing, <laughs> and it's very watchworthy when I'm looking for something to do for the next Cryptopsy video. <laughs> In a different way, like completely. Who is the next big band coming up on the metal scene, in your opinion? The Agonist. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's no joke that Gojira has been one of the biggest for a little while now, but I think that they're definitely going to be like one of those bands that are just going to be huge by the time I'm 50, you know, it's just, they're still going to stick around. They're still going to stick around. There's, it's not going to be yesterday's lunch, you know, the Gojira Mastodon. Yeah. I mean, it's the, I saw them at heavy MTL this year and everybody was just freaking out over Gojira and it, like even some of my friends that work at Avenco, they were saying just how the next time they come and headline Montreal, they're definitely not going to be playing Metropolis, which is a pretty big venue in Montreal. But they were saying like, we definitely have to push them to a bigger venue, you know? So just because of that show and you saw how big it was, you know, wow. it's like, so I'm excited for that band to just like take over the world. You know, what is your favorite album of the moment? album of the moment let's see something that's on repeat in spotify i mean i definitely have gojira in on my spotify i've got lanfa sauvage and magma i think those are both two awesome albums and you know something that i'm I'm, I'm tough on gojira because i got into them early and they were my band and then everyone fucking started liking them so i'm a bit tougher on them right i get it It, i i I have from mars to sirius and the ways of the flesh yeah, the way of all flesh. The way of all flesh. That's it. Yeah, are my top two. That's definitely a good one too. But here's another album that I'll constantly listen to on the metro ride when I'm coming home after a stressful day at work, and it's uh, Obzen by Mashuga. And just like, I'll literally put it right on Obzen because I'm like, I just I just need to like let out a little bit of aggression, you know. And it's just like that's that's one of my go tos. And actually, one of the newer albums that I listen to a lot of the times is uh, the new Through the Eyes of the Dead. I think that's a fantastic album. Hate the Living is the first track off of that album, and it's just like, whoa, it's a punch in the face to back to what they used to be, like back in 2005, oh, 2006. Cool. I, I totally stopped listening to that band, so I'll give them a listen. Yeah, that's well, I think that album came out this year or last year. I think it says 2018. No, 2017, last year. But yeah, they hadn't put out an album in a long time, and that was definitely, you should give it a listen to controversial questions would you go on tour with arch enemy uh probably not would you care to elaborate (sighs) i probably wouldn't go on tour with them just because of how awkward it would be like not even for myself but just for everybody and that's that's pretty much it if there was no sort of history there well then yeah why not it's like I've asked the same question to Danny, so mm-hmm. it's it was it's like a pinnacle band for your band to tour with, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I said the same thing to him. Business wise, on the paper, it would be the right idea, but the personal aspect of it all would make it difficult, awkward, is what you're saying. See, right now, I don't even think that business wise, it would be a smart idea because we'd get a lot of mixed decisions from people. Like there are still a lot of people that like both bands but then there's those people in between that are just like have taken a side for some odd reason which they shouldn't have if you like music well then you should be not biased on who the fuck is in the band or not you know uh but so maybe business wise it wouldn't be a good decision for that it would definitely be awkward and i don't know i mean if you're when you're on tour with a band you know this you're basically living with that band whether you're on the same tour bus or not you got to see each other and you got to deal with each other every day. So it's, it's, 
it's something that would be uncomfortable and there's no reason why somebody should be uncomfortable in their own home you know do you think that the awkwardness with Elisa could ever be reconciled um maybe maybe not I mean I was at Epica earlier this year or last year yeah last year when we came home from a Canadian tour and uh, we literally rushed home like 18 hour drive from Winnipeg or however the fuck long it is I can't remember and <laughs> I had to rush to Metropolis where Epica was playing because they wanted me to film their live show that night and put it into a teaser video for the rest of the tour and lo and behold when I was there I was chatting backstage with um, with Ivan the guitar player and then I saw my old singer walk up and she said hello to everybody. She shook everybody's hand and then she held out a hand and she shook mine. And while she was holding on her hand to shake mine and I looked down and I was just like, what? What's going on? So I shook her hand and just, hello, how are you? And that's it, you know? So there's civilness there, which is I think is great. That's and a step in the right direction. It's a step in the right direction and I wish her all the best and I hope that she wishes us all the best. And I mean, it's just at the end of the day, it's so fucking stupid. It's like, who cares? Life goes on. You know, it's just like we wanted to proceed as a band. She wanted to proceed as whatever doing her thing. And that's that's it. As long as everybody's happy at the end of the day and you can still do what you love because you can't. Well, then what's the point of living? Fuck. I want I want the I would love for, you know, if it comes from this podcast or anything else, I want the whole drama to go away. It'd be nice. You know, you guys are in a happier place. Vicky's killing it. She's in a great place. Everyone should just move on. Why not? And if business-wise it makes sense you guys working together, which you're saying it doesn't, but I still think it would, then you guys should just work your shit out and just move on. Yeah, I don't see any reason why. I mean, just life's too short to be pissed off all the time. So you'd be ready. Uh, I wouldn't be ready to full out say like a big apology out of nowhere and that's that but I'd be willing to put whatever differences aside just to move on with it because like I said it's just life's too short to be pissed off all the time what the fuck who who cares you know it's not you didn't start playing music to get into grudge matches with people and everything like that we play metal music but we're not actually angry people off stage we get it all out on stage so who gives a shit you know it's just it's pretty much already behind me anyways except for when i see bad comments coming from people i'm just like okay grow up that's it would you shoot a music video for our channel <laughs> no 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 uh growing up in bands in montreal did you feel that there was a division between the english and the french scene um i didn't feel that with bands i felt that growing up as a kid when i like played sports when i played hockey and everything like that, i got made fun of because i was an anglophone and i was pretty much the only anglophone on a french speaking team uh they would all haze me and everything like that and i even got hazed all the way up until i went to trade school when i was uh 19 20 years old no not 19 till i went yeah when i was like 18 19 you know so i was like but within the music scene i actually never really felt that the music scene always seemed like well all the french bands are speaking in english anyway so they they all tried to learn off of the anglophones in a certain way and there was never any sort of like headbutting on that front so it was just i don't know everybody just cares about music instead of languages who gives a shit you know that's cool i like that you mentioned you went to trade school and you've mentioned that now you are shooting video for corporate as your job yeah that you went to trade school to build airplane parts right yeah and then you ended up getting a job building airplane pieces yeah which you had to quit to yeah. go on tour i got a job working at bombardier uh working as a uh, aircraft structural structural assembler as they say and uh i worked well i worked in a sheet metal shop before that also working on airplane parts but then i got the the real job at bombardier working on a trailing edge of a wing of the water bomber and uh i worked there for about eight months to a year and then we 
got we had just put out our second album and uh we had a tour coming up and i went to go tell my my supervisor i was just like i got a tour coming up man i gotta i gotta split and he was just like what <laughs> like <laughs> you're quitting bombardi he's like nobody quits bombardi everybody gets laid off and i told him i was just like well sorry i like my passion is here and he said okay i respect that give me a call when you get back and when i came back which wasn't for a long time because we toured relentlessly off of that album uh i never really gave him a call back so do you think that it's something that you'll return to some point in your life? I don't think so now. It was one of the best jobs that I ever had. Uh, it was so much fun. And I, I learned a lot. But what I'm doing right now, I'm so much more passionate about being able to produce music videos. And even if it's corporate videos, it's so much more inspiring. And to be around music and great people all day long. And to still be able to tour the world and play music and write music with my band is way more important to me than building any stupid airplane. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate being on the podcast. Vox and Hops. Thanks for the beer. I've known you for a long time and uh, I feel like I know you even a little bit more now. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to beers. Cheers to beers. Swing your beers. (laughs) (laughs) Swing your Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thank you so much for listening to my funny yet interesting episode number 11 of Vox and Hops with my friend Chris Kells from The Agonists and Front to Back Visuals. Uh, If you guys ever need a great music video, I highly, highly suggest that you contact Chris Kells because he is, uh, you know, he's really got his shit together and he's really, really doing amazing, amazing work. Uh, Just uh, keep your eyes open for uh, all the new Agonist videos, which are going to be coming out along with their new album. Uh, I've heard some tracks. It's, 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 you know, fucking brutal. It's super catchy. They're they're gonna go somewhere fucking far. And I'm super proud of my boys and girl for, for moving and past all the shit, keeping their heads up, and you know, just not giving up. Keep pushing forward. All the best to the agonist. Next up on the Vox and Hops podcast, I sit down with my first female guest of the podcast, Brittany Slays. She's the vocalist of Unleash the Archers. We sat down outside at Fritalov in the basement of the Piranha Bar, and we sat there and we had a great conversation about learning how to how she learned how to sing in a choir at the age of eight. Uh, the experience, uh, her experience, and the band's experience recording in Denmark with Jacob Hansen, and her love of horror movies. And uh, she tells me all about this amazing trip that uh, she got to do at the NASA headquarters uh, in Houston as a guest of honor from one of the security people who's a a metal fan. So check it all out on Vox and Hops episode number 12. Thank you so much for all listening. If you have any questions, you have any comments, you have any suggestions, you want to sponsor the show, you want to back us, backing up Vox and Hops to help this podcast move forward, contact Matt at voxandhops.com. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Have yourselves a great one. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.